We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Miller for three. Oh, he backed it in. He backed it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes. T.J. Warren is not human. Ranger catches, shoots for three to win it. He hits it. To go. Brogdon for three. Let's Got go. it. O'Neal drives on Yao, puts it in. Duarte for three. Boom, baby. Anthony attacks Hibbert. Denies him at the rim. Karis LeVert. People don't realize how good he really is. LeVert. Skies high for the jam. Stevenson passes into Sabonis for the basket. Jackson turns, fires, Smoke. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hands, hands, hands. This is TJ McConnell, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. And the Indiana Pacers went one and one this weekend, losing a game to the Charlotte Hornets, which does not look as close as it once was, and then taking care of business at home against the New Orleans Pelicans. And here to talk with me today, of course, the greatest co-host in Pacers basketball history, Michael J. Focci. Focci, big uh, big shoes to fill right there. Wow, massive shoes to fill. I don't know if I'll ever be able to fill them, but I hope I can. But Alex, <laughs> I'd love to say the boys are back on track, but this felt like more of a tune-up <laughs> fight for a boxer. The Pacers, they get things done. They never trail. They lead by as much as 32 and they handle business 111 to 94. What were your thoughts on the second night of the back-to-back? Yeah, so when the when the starters were benched in the third quarter with about seven minutes left against that against the Hornets and then not go back into the game, I was hoping that we would see this type of response against the Pelicans. Coming out there with more energy, coming out there with a little bit more of a fight. And I'm sure they were just glad to be home and sleeping in their own beds. I mean, they've been on a long road trip. I'm not trying to give them excuses, but what I'll say, Fachi, is the way they took care of the Pelicans is how I want them to take care of teams like the Pistons, teams like the Nuggets without three starters. That's why I get mad when they lose to them because they shouldn't. I mean, the Pelicans looked terrible last night, no doubt about Awful. it. Just, just disgusting. I mean, at one point we were up 30-plus points. So I don't really feel like I can sit here and say, oh, the boys are back, like nope. you said. Nope. The, it, was a, it was a game where I was expecting a win, 
But the tough test comes on Monday, tomorrow, today, whenever you're listening to this, against the Chicago Bulls because this is one of the hottest teams in the Eastern Conference and a Central Division rival. Got to really put your foot on uh, on their throat and, and show them that you're not here just to be a, a bottom dweller in the Eastern Conference. Absolutely. Chicago has been impressive this year. I mean, Zach Levine and uh, DeMar DeRozan have been on fire. Uh, just a good defensive team. I mean, overall, it's going to be tough. But against the Pelicans, it was a game that you finally needed to show some life. That's exactly what we saw. And I thought, I mean, there were so many good things to, to, to go across in this game. One of the best things of all, the starters got even more rest. They didn't play the fourth quarter again, this time for a better reason. So I thought that was awesome. It was a game that the Pacers never really looked like they were in danger at all. But a lot of things they did well in the game, 28 assists to just 10 turnovers. I thought that was that was very key. And then just a collective effort across the board. I mean, when guys aren't going to play the fourth quarter, they're not going to have these crazy stats. But you saw the starters being very effective. I mean, outside of Levert, he just plays 17 minutes. But at the same point, you, you saw 16 points of 6 of 8 shooting from Brogdon. You saw Miles Turner hit a 3 just to start the game, which we've talked about. There's something different when he gets that first basket in. It just feels like it, he's on the run. And yeah. 11 points, 9 rebounds. I mean, great, great performance from him. Two blocks. Justin Holiday. this man at home is a completely different player. I mean, holidays, uh, road and home splits are – it's getting ridiculous. I have the numbers out here in front of me. I, at home, he's shooting over 40% from three. I believe on the road, he's shooting about 28%. So th there's a major difference right there. But, uh, yeah, I don't want this to be like how Doug McDermott was a couple of years ago where home and away McDermott mm. was a, a big difference. But love what I'm seeing at home from Justin Holiday, And then Sabonis, 20 points. 10 rebounds, six assists, looked like more of the distributor that we saw in years past. I love to see it. Yeah, you know what's funny is just a week ago when Rick Carlisle was asked about Justin Holiday, he said, we, we've we looked at the tape and he's better off the bench. <laughs> and so they go through a three-game losing streak and decide, hey, let's put him back in the starting lineup. Chris Duarte was the guy that got put on the bench, and I think they were trying to really get Duarte in there early with the starters because they subbed out Levert pretty quick and give him a chance to play with them some, but also place him with the bench. So kind of a unique rotation. I don't know how much I'm going to read into it too much. It just felt like it was trying not to give these guys too many minutes, uh, hopefully take care of business against this Pelicans team. But like you said, DeMontis Sabonis looked like himself once again, was being utilized a lot more. I was curious to see what Carlisle had to say about that in the press conference. And Scott Agnes asked about it. And basically what he said back to him was, well, he was open, so we got him the ball more. It's like, really? I, I don't feel like that's yeah. that's not really what happened, but if you ever pay attention to what Rick Carlisle says in post-game press conferences, is he always tries to deflect everything, mm -hmm. especially when it starts to gear towards individual people instead of team play. So that's kind of how I feel like he just answers things, but I did not like it. But it was clear to me this team was just clicking on all cylinders, and it was because Sabonis got things going early, Really, like you said, six assists, that's who he is. When, when he has the ball in good spots and touches the ball in the paint, defenses have to collapse, and then he's able to kick it out to shooters. That's why you got Brogdon shooting six of eight, four, six from three, Holiday, four, seven from three. Just just exactly what Domas does, and good to see him knock down a couple of threes as well because he looked really confident last night. Like a honey hive, this man has been swarmed this year. Double teams. <laughs> Triple teams, they're all over him. And Sabonis did a great job finding cutters 
I loved it. I, I felt like they kept the ball moving. And that was, that was obviously key against New Orleans because recently the ball has been sticking, I feel like, a lot. And we saw games like the Pacers have recently. It was like 14 assists the other night. Uh, I mean, a couple nights ago, I mean, it was it was horrible. So getting back out there, moving it around, it made all the difference. Um, and I just think that for, for the Pacers, you had to switch things up a little bit. I like the way that Carl has been making adjustments here. You've seen a little tinkering. Um, and we're going to remain to see what happens with Duarte off the bench. I mean, how long will it last? I don't know. But at the same point, hopefully he's able to – carve out more of a scoring role off the bench. We'll see. I mean, hey, if Justin Holiday looked great now, then it'd be like, hey, great move. If he didn't, it'd be like, let's get him out of the starting lineup and yeah. back on that bench. So that remains to be seen. Yeah, this team has been way too inconsistent to really be able to bank on anything. So I think with this game, you just take it for what it is and see how they respond the rest of the week. They've got, I think it's nine of their ne- next uh, 11 10. at home, 10 yeah, yeah. at home, something like that. 10. Yeah, because they were 11 of their – or 10 of their next 12 at home. So it's something like nine of their next 10, whatever it is. But they've got a long home stretch coming up here in January, so good for them to be able to get that going. They got the Bulls, like we said, on Monday night in Chicago. But Chicago is playing New York tonight, so they'll be on the second night of a back-to-back, which is a good thing for the Pacers, hopefully get a little bit of an advantage there in terms of being more rested. But, Fachi, I think that wraps up that game. we got to get to our player of the week and our rookie report, so let's take a quick break and we'll get right back to it. The Rookie Report, brought to you by Pizza King, located at 135 and Fairview Road. Call us at 317-882-0340 to place your order today. Pizza King, a proud sponsor of Setting the Pace. The Rookie Report. Duarte inside scores his first NBA point. Now Duarte, his three is perfect. Duarte. He knows where the clock is, lets it fly, and hits again! Beat him up! Duarte, step back three, and hits his third! That's a tough three, too. Now Duarte, another three! Here's a long three, Duarte, got it! (laughs) All right, everybody, we are back, and for this week's Setting the Pace Rookie Report, we are highlighting actually two players this uh, this week. Only one played in the NBA, but Isaiah Jackson, we'll get to him in a, in a little bit. Chris Duarte, he returned from a shoulder injury, played against Charlotte and New Orleans, scored six points against the Hornets on three of five shooting, um, and then ended up coming off the bench for the first time this season against the Pelicans, where he scored eight points to go along with four rebounds and two steals on four of 10 shooting. Then moving over, Isaiah Jackson made his G League debut and through his first two games, he was looking good, averaging 15 points and eight rebounds on 64% shooting to go along with seven blocks and eight offensive rebounds in two games. Mm. His third game, unfortunately tonight, fouled out nearly 12 minutes, had six points and three blocks. Alex, what was your thoughts on Duarte returning from the shoulder injury and then uh, cover Isaiah Jackson just making his way back? Yeah, so actually, I'm, I'm glad that Duarte's back. Clearly, he makes this team better, gives them more depth. He's another guy that can put the ball on the floor. Really good defender. I think that that's one of the things the Pacers missed was just his defensive ability, his athleticism. We talked about that in that New York recap, but just really missed him overall. So good to see him back. I'll be I'll be interested to see how he adapts to this new role in, in that bench role as a six-man type of thing. Carlisle did talk about that in the, in the post-game press conference, and he just basically said that he handled it like a pro. So I love to hear that, that he was accepting of the role and 
it's going to be more difficult, more challenging for him to accept that and kind of start off on the bench and, and, and try to get himself loose and warm once he's called upon. But, you know, hopefully he's not sitting too long like we saw with the rotation. But, yeah, good for him. And then once again, I say at Jackson, man, that was awesome. I was actually able to watch a little bit of that game on YouTube against the Charge in his first game back. And that third quarter, he was just dominating, hitting jump shots, getting to the basket. Nobody could stop him. So I know it's the G League and the talent down there is not even close to what the NBA is, but he's 19 years old and he was just having his way down there. So I think he can be impactful for this team. And I'm excited, Fachi, about the future of both of our rookies because I feel like they can be impactful and uh, on both ends of the floor. Definitely. I love that Isaiah Jackson's having this opportunity to get his legs back underneath him, you know, really be able to get solid established playing time here as he works his way back. Because right now, you know, it's it's up in the air in terms of the rotation. So continue to gain that confidence. I look forward to him returning to the Pacers. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and move on now to our player of the week. It's time for your setting the pace player of the week brought to you by Smoke and Barrel Barbecue. They put their heart and soul into the food, and uh, I would love to eat there every day if I could. Open Thursday through Saturday at 11, located at Camp Sertoma. Smoking Barrel Barbecue, baby. All good in this head. Smoking Barrel Barbecue. It's smoking good. Brogdon for three. Got it! And Karis LeVert has an eight-point second quarter. Here's another three. All right, we are back for our setting the pace player of the week, and this was a close one for the fan voting. Just six votes separated uh, these two players, but our winner uh, was Demontis Sabonis in the four games this week. Sabonis averaged 16 points, 10.5 rebounds per game, 2.75 assists on 54% shooting. He was 5 of 11 from three. One of the most uh, impressive things of all, I'd say, was 27 free throw attempts despite not playing the fourth quarter for two of the four games, for better or worse. Uh, Alex, what were your thoughts on Sabonis this week? Yeah, I mean, I thought he looked really good in that Pelicans game like we talked about. Looked pretty good against the Knicks. I think that the Detroit game, he had way too many turnovers. I think he had six in that game. And then really against Charlotte, they just weren't getting him the ball. The offense looked very stagnant. There was times where him and Miles were kind of running to the same spot on the floor. I think there was a video that Caitlin Cooper put out that was pretty like just eye-opening. Like, wow, how are, why are they both cutting to the same spot? And clearly Sabonis had the guy fronted, so he did throw the ball over the top and he would have had a wide open layup. So really just, you know, like you said, he didn't even play in the fourth quarter in two of these games. So to for him to be that dominant, I guess you could say, in just a limited amount of time, uh, you know, <laughs> he really could have done some more damage statistical-wise. But I just like the fact that he's been playing better. Seems like he's being a little bit more assertive if he's not being utilized the way he wants to be. But yeah, I just Domas when he, when the when he's playing at his best, Fachi, the team to me is just better overall, especially on the offensive end. Absolutely, and I think you know it might be time that he does. Uh, I don't want to say get a little bit more greedy, but get a few more shots. And on the week, he averaged nine point seven shots. It's not enough. I know he wasn't playing the fourth quarters there, so I'm sure those numbers would have been a bit higher. But just because I didn't mention who the runner-up was, Malcolm Brogdon also had a very good week, averaged 18.5 points per game on 53% shooting. 
you know, 4.2 assists, four rebounds, shot 40% from three, 11 of 27 overall from three. So both guys, I, I thought brought it, but uh, in a week where the Pacers go one and three, uh, it's not like there was a clear cut player of the week. Fan voting decided that with the bonus. Absolutely. Well, let's take a quick break and we'll get into your favorite segment of our show, the Mailbag Monday. We'll be right back after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, everybody. We are back for the Mailbag Monday, and we've got quite a few questions once again. So thank you uh, for doing that and sending those into us. And if you're not on social media and you want to send a question in, email me at alexgoldenNBA at gmail.com. I've had some people do that before in the future. I just want to say, if you don't, for some reason, have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, wherever, or my phone number, just email me at alexgoldenNBA. But Fachi, let's get right into it. This comes from PaversFan21. Thoughts on why Duarte has not been given the green light recently? Has it been mostly because of his shoulder issues? First off, I just want to say, one, I'm waiting for that one fan that actually mails you a letter with a question. So waiting for that. But to get into answer this question, um, I would say, man, Duarte, he's battled a bunch of injuries lately. He banged his knee, had a lead, luckily came back, rolled his ankle. He was lucky, luckily able to come back. He had the shoulder injury. Uh, but then also the return of Levert. Brogdon's been in and out of lineup. Keelan Martin's established a role. I feel like all of this is cut into his shots. I also just feel like he's experiencing classic rookie play. It's obvious to say we got spoiled early. Yeah, so here's what I'll say to this, Fachi. I don't think that he doesn't have the green light, but I do think that Carlisle has been emphasizing a little bit more with his offense to pass the ball and get the most open shot. And we've seen Duarte early on in the season take a lot of contested shots. And he'll do that, but it's usually later in the shot clock and maybe not so early on. So I think that it's more so a principle of the offense to move the ball to get guys more open looks. He's only been back for two games really since everything's going to happen with that, in my opinion. And so he is coming back from an injury, but I think it's more so just him trying to buy into the offense and take the opportunities when they're there instead of maybe being a little bit more forceful or hunting for his own shots. Yeah. 
Uh, definitely. I mean, we, we saw his shots significantly up in the beginning, but like I said, with more guys coming back, he's kind of been pushed down to not like a, a second or third option, more of like a fifth. Yeah. And that's okay because he's a rookie and there's a lot of mouse feet on this team. So let's move on to our next question. This comes from just Dan 94. He said, Hey guys, love the show tonight during the Pelicans game. After another fourth shot from Karis, Quinn said, that's a heat check. And that's all right, because that's who he is as a player. But the other guys need to know to redirect the ball on another direction. Translation, don't pass to Levert because he's a ball hog. Is Quinn right? <laughs> well, I don't want to flat out call Levert a ball hog, but it's been obvious this man has been trigger happy this year. He's forced some shots. I can't say that all of them have been good looks. I feel like he's the kind of guy that tries to get himself in a flow. And for him, that takes uh, a few shots. And at times, the ball is stopping with Levert. But I feel like the back injury has played into that. There's a lot of season left to play. I feel like he started last year slow for the Pacers. So I feel like he's going to snap out of it. Yeah, so I, if you listen to Quinn closely, there's been some other times where he talked about the reason that, you know, they were bringing Levert out early in that, you know, first quarter and that third quarter to bring Duarte in was because he's a ball stopper. And, and Quinn did say that actually on air. So I think really if you think about it, Karras likes to make basketball plays kind of isolation style. He's not a guy that's going to pass and catch and shoot. That's just not his game. He's really effective in like the pick and roll, being that facilitator, getting downhill, getting to the free throw line, that kind of thing, which I think this Pacers team still really needs because there's times when you really are playing tougher defenses where that's all you really have. And we saw him go out and put up six, eight points, 10 points in a row against the Pistons in the third quarter. It's like, you need someone that can go out there and do that for you. But at the same time, buying into that, offensive philosophy that Carlisle has and is trying to implement it just might not be meshing correctly with the way Karras likes to play and I do think you know the back issue is something they're still monitoring trying to check that out maybe limit his minutes a little bit but I think quite frankly it's when he starts kind of forcing a little bit maybe or doesn't really read the offense the correct way and continue to make the right passes it it could be a bit of a a detriment to the overall play of the team so he's not he's not a great shooter, right? So especially from distance, he's he's really good with the ball in his hands. So I, I think that you need a guy like him, but at the same time, there are some negatives to his game. No doubt about it. I, I don't think that this is going to be the year that Karras is putting up 20 points per game. I, I just think that there's a lot of other mouths on this team that you got to feed. And I think he's going to have to end up dialing down the shots a bit. So I think as that back gets you know healthier, I think we'll see a more efficient Karis LeVert. Absolutely. So let's move on to our next question. This comes from the Fonz22. He said, I want to know who you think is the best three-point shooter on the Pacers. Hey, the Fonz. All right, let's see. I would say, uh, while technically Jeremy Lamb leads us in three-point Can I percentage. guess? Can I guess who you're going to pick? What do you got? TJ McConnell. No. Yeah, right. I was gonna say, while McConnell from uh, you know, if you just look at the numbers, he might lead us in three point percentage. I mean, there isn't anyone who thinks that Lamb is is our best three point shooter. Then there's Miles, and I don't think people think that Miles is our best three point shooter. I would say it would not surprise me one bit if Chris Duarte beat everybody in a shooting contest. But what I will say is I bet Justin Holiday is automatic in practice. So give me Justin Holiday right now if they had a three-point contest, but give me Chris Duarte developing into the better three-point shooter maybe as the season goes on or next year. You know, somebody you're kind of leaving out of this mix is Malcolm Brogdon. 
he's, I, he's very good three-point shooter. He's a good three-point shooter, especially when he's, you know, catch and shoot. I think Holiday is the same way, but I think Duarte is probably the more dynamic three-point shooter yeah. because not only can he do it off a of catch and shoot, but he can also dribble into a three-point shot and get it over defenders. Like, look how far back he's been shooting the ball to sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, we've seen some of those, like, you know, Hail Marys that he's thrown up oh, yeah. and they've gone in. So I will actually go with Duarte. I think he's probably the best three-point shooter on this team now. He just doesn't probably get as clean of looks, and I think that defenses are going to adjust to that. Justin Holiday is a really good player that moves well without the basketball, where I think Duarte could learn from that and be more like McDermott in a sense, where you're able to figure out ways to get open without just having the ball in your hands. But I still think that the purest shot to me is Duarte if I'm putting my money on anybody. Definitely. I'm, I'm going with Duarte with the pure shot. I think uh... – as time goes on, this man is going to be a really good three-point shooter. Real quick, found the exact numbers from before. Uh, Justin Holiday at home is shooting 42.8% from three. On the road, 30.5%. Mm. So he's That's not four, good. Four or more. Uh, so he hit, yeah, four more threes in five of the seven home games. So okay. uh, we, we got to have him balance that out a little bit more. But uh, ready to move on to the next question. All right, this comes from Agent Felix. He put this question in a couple days um, after we'd already submitted it last week, so I wanted to go ahead and read it because I thought it was a good question. He said, at one time, Miles was due to be the face of the franchise before Oladipo came along and he got put on that back burner. Do you feel Miles is finally filling that role? If not, who do you think the face of the franchise is? There's no way I can say that Miles is filling the role of the face of the franchise. I mean, I, I feel like that's... We can't even put him in that situation. The face of the franchise needs to be an all-star or more of an offensive threat on a nightly basis. No knock on Miles Turner because, you know, he's a good player, but the man's averaging 12.7 points per game and 7.4 rebounds. There is no face of the franchise with those numbers. So love the defensive efforts, but I feel like when Paul George left this team, we envisioned Miles maybe putting up like 20 and 10 being an all-star and, I feel like for now, most fans would probably say Domas has to be face of the franchise given the two straight all-star nods, but I feel like Malcolm Brogdon is closing that gap a little bit. Yeah, so just to kind of go back in time and look a little bit, I think once once Reggie retired, right, Jeff Foster was probably the longest tenured pacer, but it was Jermaine O'Neal's team before, oh, yeah. before they got Danny Granger in here, right? So even though Jeff Foster was the longest tenured pacer and he was a starter, he wasn't the face of the franchise. And so that's kind of where I think Miles is with this franchise. I think he's a really good player, clearly important to this team, resonates well with the fan base. I think the fans really uh, embrace him because he's vocal on Twitter, right? He's vocal in, in interviews and kind of just tells you how it feels. And I think fans like the realism from him because he's that guy where, where Jeff Foster was not like that at all. But what I'm trying to say here basically is Miles – might be the most well-known Pacer amongst Pacer fans. But if you're talking about across the league, when people think of the Indiana Pacers, their mind directly goes to DeMontis Sabonis because, like you said, Fachi, that all-star national recognition, two-time all-star. Malcolm Brogdon gets a lot of love as well, but it's usually Sabonis that is the headliner for this team. And, you know, Miles Turner, he's had a good year so far this year. Maybe he can get to that one day. But right now I would say there's not really like a strong face but I would say the closest person to the face of the franchise right now is DeMontis Sabonis. Yeah, we, we've got to develop that strong face because right now, faces, they just have a couple of faces, uh, but we need that clear cut. It's been a while, and we all wait to have that player again, that true face of the franchise. But what do we got next? 
Okay, so let me ask you, uh, what is the next question I sent you? I got Twitter pulled up right now. Uh, let's see. So uh, the next question I have is coming from Gavin Lee Miller. How could we save this season, and who would we trade comfortably? All right, so this is from Facebook. Gavin, how can we save this season, and who would we trade? Man, that's a tough one. Um, I think the way you can save the season is just by playing better. I mean, I know that sounds silly, but if they play with as much togetherness and as you know, competitiveness as they did against the Pelicans, against every team, they'll be above 500, no doubt about it, but they've got to come out and play with that same fire. You can't have nights off like you took off in Charlotte and Detroit. Those are inexcusable efforts. That's just not going to get you anywhere. Who would we trade comfortably? I think this is going to be a boring answer, but probably Jeremy Lamb, if you're talking comfortable uh, trades, because it's a minor trade. He's not in the rotation right now. So maybe you move somebody like that. I mean, if you're talking about like a big shakeup, then you look at the starting five and, and we can go down that rabbit hole and make different cases. But for this specific question, I would go with Jeremy Lamb. First off, I would have loved if you just answered this by saying, put the bat, put the ball in the basket. You know, one of those <laughs> yeah, classic, true. like, okay. Got to make shots, Nate McMillan. <laughs> exactly. But I would say we could save this season by starting to win on the road. We're oh, five and two at home. We're two and nine on the road. That's that's an embarrassment. Um, but also limit the turnovers. The Pacers did that. I mean, look, just 10 turnovers against New Orleans. I mean, that's going to give you a, a much better advantage than 18 turnovers earlier in the week that we had. Um, get to the free throw line, something that we never do and probably won't this year, but it'd be very helpful. And for the love of God, just get some consistent bench play. The bench is so <laughs> up and down. It's, it's like you can never count on them. And then, look. For a trade, unless the Pacers want to include a first-round pitch pick, which this year I don't think they would, uh, then it's going to be hard to trade anyone literally other than like Jeremy Lamb and Goga because guys like TJ Warren's value is too low, and they're not blowing up that starting unit until I feel like they've seen Warren play with them for a solid amount of time, and that would have to be in the offseason. Possibly, but it just depends. If they go on a huge losing streak here at home, I think there could be a trade to shake things up because – Quite frankly, I, I don't think they're going to be satisfied if this team is multiple games under 500 after the month of December, after you have that huge home stretch. So I think if they can right the ship, get above 500 by the end of this month of December, hopefully, they'll start to feel a little bit better about their team. But right now, it's just tough. But all right, let's move on to the next question here. The next question I have is from Zachary Barnett, our fan of the week from a few weeks ago, Fachi. He said, what is the, the reason we had the skid, and is it actually – over or are the Pelicans just terrible? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if this kid's over yet. Uh, the Pelicans are definitely terrible. And I think it's come down to a lot of things about basically, you know, injuries that we've had, inconsistency, no, not being able to close games. There's been so many one-possession games that the Pacers just have not made that winning play, whether it's that shot securing a rebound, you know, whether it's you know, getting a foul call overturned. I mean, whatever it is, we, we don't want to – I mean, there's been some different story in so many games. The Pacers need to close. They need to get healthy. I think there's a lot of reasons that we had this skid, and I think a lot of it comes to offensive uh, movement, ball movement. I, I feel like the offensive – whatever the offensive strategy was, it just did not work out to me, Fachi, whatsoever for that, for that stretch there where we were looked really bad it just felt like the ball was getting stuck in the mud a little bit. The ball was sticking in players' hands. They were mm -hmm. getting forced to take bad shots, or they were just making careless turnovers. They just weren't protecting the ball. Felt like they were kind of walking through the mud. Maybe they were just a little bit tired. The long road trip, I get it. Eight games in eight different arenas, that's a long road trip, right? So completely understand that question. But 
or that that whole thing they went through. But I think the other question that you ask is, is it actually over or are the Pelicans just terrible? Look, this team has won two games in a row, and that's the longest winning streak they've been on this season. So I'm not ready to sit here and say, oh, everything is fine. We beat the Pelicans. We're over this skid. No, I, I want to see a little bit more from this team. I want to see them go on a three to four game winning streak before I really feel like, all right, everybody, the boys are back. You know, like I, I, I have to see more from this team, Fachi, to really feel good about it. Oh, I, I as much as I love to other that line, the boys are back. They are indeed not back. Um, I hope they will be soon. I mean, games against Chicago and the Lakers, that can prove a lot. You win those games, all of a sudden the outlook on the season is different. You even got to go one and one in those games, but we'll, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Absolutely. Our next question comes from good friend of the show, Kalechi Ula. He said, Indy are currently 17th in net rating this season at exactly zero. That's above the Bucks, Hawks, and Hornets, teams that are above the Pacers and the standings. Is it fair to say that the Pacers being 7-11 and 11 is a false position and not a true reflection? Man, I'd love to say that, um, that it's uh, not true, like this is not who we are, but at the same point, it's tough because the Pacers have those close losses. I don't want to be the guy that pats my stuff on the back and say, well, I only lost by one, but it's just like, Man, if we had Levert and we had Warren or if we had Brogdon in those games, I do think the Pacers are at least a 500 team. Yeah. But with the inability to close games in, in Portland and in Denver and, and, you know, Washington and Charlotte and plenty of other ones, we are what we are. We are kind of what our record is for now because at the end of the day, it's not like you get to cash in these excuses. I, I do think that it is a true reflection of who we are because you could say, oh, well, if we won that game, well, if we won that game, well, you didn't, you know? You didn't. So if you were good enough, you'd be able to close those games out. You wouldn't have mental lapses and lapses like you had against teams you should beat and, and games you should win. So they've had some big wins. They've also had some bad losses. So it's like you got to take that balance and look and say, hey, this team has some some flaws to it. And when they're exposed for their flaws, they're going to get beat on, on that night. But when they play to their strengths and they're able to limit the other team from playing well, they can beat anybody. So this team is a team that just doesn't really have an identity yet. They're trying to find it, I think. We're, what, 18 games into the season now, going on game 19. So this is a team that is going to have to figure things out because it's still early in the season, but we're getting to that quarter mark, Fachi, and you got to really put your stamp and imprint on this season if you really want to make a, a push for the playoffs. Absolutely. Through one quarter of the season, uh, I don't think anyone's happy with what we've seen. The good thing is, is uh, there's there's quite a few more quarters to play. So I'm ready to turn this around. Absolutely. Our next question comes from Gavin Gruziski. He said, do you think we will go over 500 this year? Now, if you want to be real technical and this year being 2021, uh, I don't think so. But it's going to be <laughs> tough. I mean, answer both. I, I'm going to say for in 2021. No, I do think in the month of January we can hit 500 or better, but that's going to be with getting worn back, getting everyone a bit more settled into their roles. So uh, my, my odds are not in 2021. Yeah. So what about 2022 by the end of the year? I'm going with January. I think we hit 500. Okay. I, I, uh, I don't want to answer this one yet. It's too, it's too early in the season for me to really give you a good answer. I think they do get above 500, but I don't know how much above it is. Like you could be talking like 42 and 40 by the end of the season. Like that's kind of where I'm at with this team because they're seven and 11 and they've had a tough schedule. So they'll get some easier games along the way. But at the same time, this league has been chippy this year. This league has been really tough. So 
can't bank on any wins. Obviously, look at the Detroit game. You know, they, they could have slept walk through the Pelicans game and, and lost that one if they didn't come ready to play. So really, you got to come to play every night. Hopefully this team and their depth, they'll be able to do that more so than not. But it's going to be close. I think that my prediction of them being a fifth seed is uh, a little bit, you know, pie in the sky at this point. And uh, <laughs> hopefully they can just get into the playing tournament and be competitive there. So let's move on to our next question. This comes from our good and faithful listener, Aaron M. at Hugh Pacers. He said, does Sabonis need to be the main offensive focal point for this team to compete for the playoffs? Honestly, I, I do think we need to get back to our roots a little bit more. I don't want to be called a Sabonis homer over here, but guys, the, this man needs to put up more shots. I mean, it's not going to be a recipe for winning basketball. Sabonis is putting up under 10 shots a game. So I, I want him to be more of a distributor like in years past. And uh, I think the Pacers just have to take advantage of teams double and, and tri- triple teaming him because at times, I mean, he's, he's collecting the ball in the post and everyone's swarming right around him. It's creating open looks for threes. And Carlisle wants to shoot more threes this year that, hey, let Sabonis kick it back out. Yeah, I, I think really you're not paying Sabonis to be a defensive player. No, so he's traveling too, too much mileage on defense. Once again, top yeah. three. I mean, come on. <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're paying him to be an offensive threat because he's really good offensively. And this team is so much better offensively when he is the main hub. I get sometimes last year, especially with Bjorkren, he was overutilized, overused to some degree. But in this offense, I don't feel like he will be as over overutilized or overused. I think that he is – what we saw against the Pelicans was the perfect balance. When he gets the ball in places where it, it puts pressure on the defense, they collapse – kicks out to open shooters when he's out there stretching the floor or just staying outside on the perimeter, it doesn't do anything of good value for this offense. So I think the team is best when he is the main offensive focal point, he will find open guys. He's a willing passer. He really doesn't force a ton of shots unless it's down to the end of the shot clock, or he's frustrated with a foul call that he didn't get a couple plays earlier or a foul call that he got called on him. I mean, he can kind of play off his emotions sometimes every once in a while, but mostly he tries to make the right play. And I'm not even worried about being a homer. I'm just being honest. Like, I just think that this team offensively is much better when he's the main focal point. 100%. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. We got some more questions, but I want to take a quick break and uh, regather our thoughts. We'll be right back after this. All right. Let's start right off here, Fachi. Jason Wagner said, what do you think improves the Pacers most as the season continues? One, an easier, more home court stretch of the schedule. Two, getting more accustomed to and on board with Carlisle's system. Three, getting as close to fully healthy as possible for some of all of that. I mean, we mentioned that the, the home court coming up, uh, you know, we went back and forth. I believe it's nine of the next 11 at home. Uh, so that's huge. When the Pacers are five and two at home, that's going to be big. Uh, getting more accustomed to the roles, I, I think that's going to be pretty huge. We've seen kind of like some awkwardness from TJ McConnell earlier in the year that we saw him get more settled in. We've seen Domas kind of be a bit out of his role, maybe coming back to a little bit more of himself. We've seen a better role, in my opinion, for Miles Turner this year. And then getting getting healthy, I mean, it's huge. The Pacers started this year at times without three-fifths of their starters. I mean, how many teams can win games like that? So I think if Brogdon – I mean, like it, we're going to say this statement that never works. Hey, if Brogdon can stay healthy, if Warren can stay healthy – you know, if Levert could say, you know, that might not happen, but getting healthier along the way, I think, uh, adds to the depth of this team, which should equate to a few more wins. Yeah, I think that for some of all, that probably is the right answer because getting healthy, getting accustomed to the, the system and getting guys, you know, 
at home and in their own beds and able to play this easier schedule. I think all of that will go into helping them get things back and get this season back on track for them in a positive way. So let's move on to our next question from Tweet Rant Therapy. In general, I like this team, but the record has been bad, and the loss at Detroit was downright shameful. I agree. Are we nearing the time where we have to at least start to consider a total teardown remake of the roster? And is Kevin Pritchard in trouble, or am I being overdramatic too soon? Look, we're all being a, a bit dramatic at this time, but that's because none of us are, are happy with what we've seen. Uh, I mean, it, it, there needs to be, you know, a little bit of a, of a change over here, but the Detroit loss, it was terrible. I, I hope that that was a wake-up call, but I don't know if it is. I don't know what it is, but this team needs to just, they need to play energized from the start. And nearing the time where if we're going to, you know, consider a total teardown, that will not happen until this Pacers front office sees TJ Warren and this starting five together because they've waited years for it. So they're not going to tear it down before he finally makes it back. And it seems like he's a month away. Yeah. So I don't think the Detroit game was a wake up call because of how flat that came out against the Hornets. Exactly. I, think the, I think the benching of the starters was a wake up call to them to realize, Hey, we've got a veteran coach over here. Who's not going to put up with our nonsense. If we don't come out to play, we're not going to be able to push him around. He's going to basically just call the shots. And so I think that was more of a, hey, he just earned our respect because he showed us some tough love. But moving on, you know, I, I don't think it's time to tear it down yet. It's still a 7-11 and 11 record. If you're upset with the way the team has played, you have every right to be because I'm upset with the way they played. It's like bad. So I think that by being upset, you're showing that you care, which is really important because I would hate for fans just to be like, oh, whatever, it's just the Pacers. I don't care if they win or lose. Like, no, I want to see fans, you know, get upset that this team is not trying to reach those levels of championship aspirations. So they they are not going to win a championship with this roster, obviously, no. but they they could still make a push at the playoffs. I'm not saying they're going to win a playoff series or like that, but they can make a push for that. I don't really know if Pritchard's in trouble, um, to be honest with you. I think him and Herb Simon, I've said this plenty of times on the podcast, if you're a new listener, then him and him and Herb have a good relationship. I would be, I think that Kevin Pritchard steps down from his position and lets Chad Buchanan take over before he's fired. So that would be my, you know, mindset looking at this thing. But yeah, you're not being too dramatic, but it's okay to be a little bit dramatic, like Fachi said, because nobody likes losing. So you ready to move on, Fachi, the next question? Ready. All right. Jake Xline said, are the Pacers a top 10 team in the East as currently constructed? It's a tough question to ask. I mean, coming into the season, you would definitely think, yeah, we could be top 10, but we're only top 10 if TJ Warren is at least. 80% of who he was because the East is absolutely stacked this year. And let's just take a look at the playing games from seven to 10. That consists of Boston, Milwaukee, Cleveland, and Philly. Alex, those are two of the teams that we projected to see in the top two to three seeds. Yeah. So, I mean, some things are going to have to happen. Some teams are going to have to fall out because even below that top 10, there's us, there's Atlanta. I mean, there, there's some teams that are underperforming this year. So we have a long way to go. Yeah, no, I agree with that, Foch. I really just think that saying we're a top 10 team right now is hard because the Raptors have been playing so much better. A lot of the teams like the Wizards, you thought they might not make it. The Knicks, they had a, we thought they could be on the outside looking in, right? So yep. there's a lot of teams that we looked at the Bulls, another one. What is this team? We don't really know. So we gave the Pacers more credit basically for having – the similar roster come back with not a lot of new pieces, just a new coach. Maybe we overestimated the Pacers. I think we did just because we're big fans and we were hoping for the best, but 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think really on paper when they're healthy, they probably are a top 10 team in the Eastern Conference, but the East has gotten so much better. And with how inconsistent this team has been, I would say that they're borderline 7 to 12 in that range right now. Um, it's not been great for some of these teams in the East, but there's no way Milwaukee stays there in that bottom tier. They'll be catapulting up eventually. So I think that right now I would say no, but give me till the end of the month with December, end of December, see where this team's at. Maybe I'll change my mind. But right now I would say not a top 10 team as currently constructed. So let's move on to Kevin Chaney's question here. He said, would Jeremy Grant fit this roster if Detroit was willing to make a deal? 1,000% Jeremy Grant would fit this roster. I would love Jeremy Grant to be on this team. He'd be a great addition, but I believe that many teams have come after Jeremy Lamb, and the Pistons have been really reluctant to trade him. I do think this would definitely cost the Pacers at least their first-round pick in a very shaky year, so you wouldn't want that pick to end up being, you know, a borderline top-10 pick, but I also think it would be a first-rounder, and then you would need to throw in a starter, in my opinion, and that starter would probably have to be either Miles Turner or Karis LeVert. So I don't think the Pacers do that deal. Yeah, I don't know what the Pacers would do. I don't know how much they value Jeremy Grant. I think Jeremy Grant's a good basketball player. There were some rumors going around about maybe him going to the Sixers for yep, a Ben Simmons deal. And it's just like, I don't, I don't think Jeremy Grant's even close to the level of the pl playing yeah. field of a Ben Simmons in terms of value. I think it's kind of laughable when I heard that. I think Jeremy Grant's a good player. Uh, played for Team USA, won a gold medal. So he's got that on his resume. Knows Lloyd Pierce from that coaching staff. And maybe they might like him for that reason because he's a kind of a bigger wing that can guard those players you need to really focus on, kind of like Torrey Craig was brought in here for, but a little bit better shooter, a little bit better playmaker. So, yeah, I like Jeremy Grant. I think he'd be great for this team. Uh, there's no doubt about it. He makes this team better if Detroit was willing to make that deal. So let's move on. Jacob Blair said, do you guys still think Karras is injured? Because if not, he seems to not fit the system at all. I do still think Karis LeVert's injured. That back injury, and back injuries can be absolutely brutal and just kind of slow down just about everything. But uh, I don't think that we've seen the last of his back flaring up. I think this man is probably going to need rest at times. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if the Pacers elect to randomly rest him in a back-to-back -back situation at, at some point. Um, so I, I think that he, just the way he struggled this year, there's no way this man's healthy. Yeah, I would say it's a little bit of both, to be honest with you. He's still coming back from the injury, but at the same time, you know, we've talked about it. He's trying to adapt to the system, and, and quite frankly, much, much different than what he dealt with with, you know, Steve Nash, Kenny Atkinson, Nate Bjorken. I mean, this is his fourth coach in the last four seasons, right? So he's had a lot of different offenses to learn. He plays a certain way, and it doesn't always mesh with what Carlisle's wanting to do. You know, we've already seen Carlisle kind of transition his offense into what benefits like a guy like T.J. McConnell we saw it a little bit with Domas on Saturday. So maybe he's able to find ways and spurts and moments throughout the game where he can let Karras be Karras. But at the same time, you know, I think Karras is still trying to adjust to the system and get better from it. But the injury definitely is part of it, Fachi. I won't, I won't discredit that at all because it's a big deal. Like you said, the back, it just, you know, you, you got to be patient with it. And for him to come back and then sit back out again, clearly you don't want it to flare up. So, Let's move on to Pacers faithful. He said, what's the answer to the energy problem? Are there any players you can think of that may be, avail may be available that could help uh, with that? Personal opinions aside, da-da-da, Lance, question mark? <laughs> I mean, I don't know necessarily who's out there yet. I feel like we'll hear about that, you know, maybe a little bit in January, February, right on the trade deadline. Other than Ben Simmons, who we obviously know is out there, but 
Yeah, this team does appear gassed come the fourth quarter. I mean, we've seen them come out absolutely flat in a few games. Um, and I don't like the idea of seeing Domas once again top three in miles travel defensively because if you need him to be a focal point in the offense, oh, he's using a lot of energy defensively. So I, I do think they need, to, they need to find a way to figure it out. And I hopefully, as guys continue to get healthier, you know, they're, they're able to expand that rotation a bit because we saw early on in the season that rotation be just eight, nine guys, and that's that's just too little. Yeah, I think the answer to the energy problem is just having a, that mentality to come out and play with it every single night. It's, it's a grind. 82 games is a long season. They've only played 18, so they've still got a long way to go. But I think that it's just a mentality for me, Fachi. They just got to come out and be ready to play every single night. In terms of players, I think if you're looking at the current roster, Getting Isaiah Jackson back, he could kind of be your Jakar Sampson type of role where he's able to come in and just give you that burst of energy that you need. McConnell's shown it at times, but, you know, he's not been as energetic, I should get. I guess you could say, as maybe last year he was. But, you know, if you're looking at maybe like another team, like a guy that really brings the energy, you're like, man, I love that. Just look at Bobby Portis and what he did for the Bucks last year. I mean, this is a guy that had kind of bounced around a little bit. I think he was in New York at one point. He was with yep. Chicago, so... He was trying to find the his wizards. Niche. Yep. He was trying to find his niche, right? He was find, trying to find a role where he fit because he's a good player. I mean, he's not afraid to put a body on somebody who's got those big eyes. Right. So I, I think that, you know, a guy like Bobby Portis is somebody that every team would love to have in terms of energy, but yeah, Lance Stevenson, first opinions aside, I mean, what he did, you know, what he did is what he did. It's in the past. I'm not going to try to bring that up, but I do know, that he brought an excitement and an energy to this Pacers team into this fan base that I haven't really seen in, in, in years, Bocci, to be honest with you. Oh, fans love Lance. I mean, the energy over there, I mean, it's a real thing. I mean, we, we've seen it before. I mean, everybody remembers Lance's comeback against the Raptors. That, that, that crowd was erupting. You would have thought MJ came out of retirement when Lance came back. We missed that. I mean, I, I think that it puts butts in seats and it just gets you just off your couch a little bit. But Man, I don't know who else is out there. I thought you had a great point with Bobby Portis. That was a guy who Milwaukee fell in love with. And then they did it again when they brought in P.J. Tucker. Everyone fell in love with him, and he, he made a difference. So I hope one of those guys becomes available, and I hope Pacers take a look at him. Absolutely. So let's move over to our Instagram questions now. So thank you to all of those who sent questions. And on Twitter, over on Instagram, we've got that guy, uh, Seaman. He said, you've recently touched on how our players' roles seem misaligned. And it seems like most of our guys are trying to be something they're not, i.e. a two-guard that thinks they're a floor general, a 3-and-D big that thinks he's a 20-10 player, a slashing wing that uh, thinks he's a three-level ISO scoring threat, et cetera. Do you guys think the issue falls primarily on the coaching staff needing to clearly de uh, define, redefine roles for each player, or does it fall on the players needing to be willing to accept their roles and play within the system or a combination of both? I'd say probably a combination of both. First off, I love all the backhanded compliments that went in there. Um, <laughs> but second of all, yeah, these guys are trying to adjust to new roles, and with adjusting comes sacrifice. So we're going to need to see some sacrifice from Levert. You know, we're seeing TJ McConnell try to be, you know, hanging out more around the perimeter. It, it still creeps me out a bit when I see him, you know, load up for a three-point shot. It, it's, it's still a bit cringy, but he's trying. Sabonis is trying a lot more. I mean, you're seeing him out by three, and uh, I mean, I don't want to jinx it, but I feel like he's gotten a little bit better from three lately. I remember the, the two of 26 stretch 
Yeah, it was bad. Uh, he, he definitely uh, off that. I mean, two of three against New Orleans from three, three of four against New York, two of three against Philly from three. So he's improved that. It's going to take some sacrifice, but it's a little bit of both. And when there's a guy like Rick Carlisle, Lloyd Pierce, guys that have been head coaches, trust them. Give them more than 18 games to figure it out. Well, just like the players are trying to learn the new system, the coaching staff is trying to learn the players, exactly. the tendencies, the, the strengths and the weaknesses. So with this group, we know that there's strength in numbers, right? That's how this team is built. They all provide something specific to this roster. And it's Carlisle and Pierce's job and Ronald Norred and Jenny Busek and Matt Weiner's job to, to find out how to collectively make all these guys mesh together. And with injuries that have happened and with, you know, foul trouble and, and, and guys going on cold shooting streaks and stuff like that, it's not looked pretty trying to solve the puzzle. But like you said, it's early into the season. Just be a little bit patient with it. I mean, I'm not even talking about energy at this point right now. Like, that's just a given. Like, you got to come out and play with energy every night. You can't take nights off. Like, I'm not, and I'm not giving excuses for any of those poor performances. What I'm trying to give some clarity here, too, is just this is going to have to take some time to all come together to be the beautiful willow and machine that it can and possibly could be. But we still don't know if we're ever going to reach that. So I, I just think, you know, to answer this question, it's a combination of both. I agree with Fachi. Um, they're learning each other. And, you know, sometimes asking players to be somebody they're not, you can try it. But eventually, you know, if they don't succeed at that, you're going to find a new way to utilize that player or they won't be in the rotation. So um, I think that's the best way to kind of put that out there. But they're, they're going to figure this out. I think you're going to start seeing – better productive minutes from Karras. It won't be all this doom and gloom. Oh, he's a ball stopper type stuff because it feels like the sky is falling a little bit on the Karras Levert train, but it's still been pretty early. So let's move on to our next question from Fester35. He said, how do you feel about the continually decreasing role that Duarte is getting? I think he get a lot of the looks Holiday is and potentially be more consistent with them. Look, Duarte is, he's going to be just fine. He's going to develop nicely. I mean, if he started like the season the way he's playing now and then ramped it up to what we saw in the beginning of the year, we would be overly thrilled. But it happened too soon. But just to crunch some numbers for you. Because, right, Alex, you, you know what? You know, I got that shovel on me at all times. Well, <laughs> crunching and digging. Crunching, crunching and, digging. and digging. That's what I do. <laughs> and in the seven October games, Chris Duarte averaged just over 16 shots. In the month of November, mm. he averaged just about nine shots per game. So that's a big difference. I looked at it, and in October, he averaged nearly 36 minutes in the seven games. And in the nine November games, he averaged closer to 25. So that aligns perfectly with Levert's return, which was against the Toronto Raptors. And the very next game was when it's believed that Duarte suffered the shoulder injury against San Antonio. So a little bit of injuries over here, the return of Levert, Keelan Martin developing a role. I think all of that has kind of limited Duarte's minutes and shots. And then now we'll see if the bench experiment continues. Yeah. Carlisle said the reason to put Justin out there was because they felt like he didn't need the basketball in his hands. And I feel like they see Carlisle or not Carlisle Duarte as a guy that needs the ball in his hands a little bit more and isn't going to be okay. Just being a catch and shoot kind of guy. That's just not, his overall game, I think he can do a little bit more than that. So that was the whole thought process, according to what Carlisle said, and to why they brought him off the bench, give him a little bit more of an opportunity to handle the basketball, be utilized that way. So I think, really, they hadn't played the way they played against the Pelicans all season long. So, sure, if you watch the Pelicans game and you see the looks that Holiday was getting, 
from Sabonis, sure, Duarte probably hit those or get or get good looks at those shots, right? You know, if you go back and look at what happened in the Sixers game, Justin Holiday was on fire off the bench. So there's ways I think that they can get Duarte a little bit more uptick in shot attempts. But at the same time, if you look at how balanced the shot attempts were over the last couple of games, you're starting to realize, hey, they're trying to not be so dominant with two or three guys putting up multiple shot attempts or, you know, significant shot attempts compared to the other guys on the team. So trying to be more balanced, I think that's part of it. But we'll see how he does in this role going forward. I think that's exciting to kind of just see how they utilize him because it feels like how they've utilized everybody's changed over each game. So we'll uh, we'll uh, look forward to seeing that. So next two questions here come from Lottie Dottie, and they said – uh, do you think we need a culture change when we had Paul George, David West, Roy Hibbert and Lance? Yes, we were more athletic, but we were tougher and played with an edge. Absolutely. I wish I could just take my elbow and just smash the emergency glass that just said a button of culture change. I mean, we've talked about it like a broken record. This team needs to get tougher. They need to push back. When you think of that that old Pacers team that went to back-to-back conference finals, uh, you know, in, in the you know 2012, 2013, right around there, David West was a true enforcer. No one would mess with that man. You would just look at him and be like, man, I don't know about that guy. I'm good. I'm not messing with him. Yeah, exactly. And then Lance was crazy enough that he could get under your skin, and it was just you never knew what was going to happen. But they had the perfect balance where Paul George could be the scorer. David West could be the enforcer. Lance was crazy enough. And then all, all of a sudden, you got in the paint. Roy Hibbert was there, just clean it up. So, uh, you know, that that team had a great culture. I, and obviously with Danny Granger, it was even better. Uh, but the Pacers need that. They lack that. And I think that that is a big difference to wake this team up when they go on those droughts at the end of the games or they let teams back in it. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely could use a culture change with this team. Um, I've kind of thrown it out there that I feel like they've accepted losing. And I, I know that's a bad thing. And people are like, I don't think they have, which I, I think that I say it. In a, in a way that I mean, they're not okay with losing, but they've lost enough games over the last couple of seasons where it doesn't sting it's as much. It's not a shock. Yeah, yeah exactly. it doesn't hurt them as much. But if you saw this team with Paul George, West, Hibbert, even, you know, no everybody leaves out George Hill. They were all great defensive players, right? And, and they were so good defensively that that translated into their offense because, you know, David West, mid-range killer. Roy Hibbert had that – jump jump hook him to death and lance was the razzle dazzle and paul george was you know your superstar your go-to guy i mean they had an identity right this team does not this team like we said we don't know who the face of the franchise is so it's like uh it's domas but he's not been utilized like he is right so you don't have that guy you don't have that team built the same way defensively not even close to what they were with roy hibbert at the helm with that group and then offensively it's just a little bit different you've got good playmakers you got good offensive players but not even close to that. So to answer your question, quite frankly, yes, they do need a culture change. And I think getting some toughness added to this team would be a, be a lot of fun. That's why everybody was so excited to see Miles kind of get into it with Rudy Gobert because they want to see that toughness. They want to see that chippiness. And since that game, we really haven't seen it as much, but I'm hoping that we, we see it throughout the rest of the season. But uh, one more question here from Lottie Dottie. They said, should we go after more streetball players? Our offense gets stagnant too much. I will answer this quickly and say, no way, Jose. Yeah, I mean, look, I take it when you say streetball, you mean more flashy. And I don't know if flashy is always what, what we need. It would be more entertaining. 
But does that necessarily make us a more efficient or better team? I don't know. So the offense does get stagnant at times. I, I like when we played faster. Maybe in you know, years past, it's probably the only thing I liked last year when we did play a bit faster. But uh, street ball player, I don't think is going to be the answer. No, I can't imagine a street ball player getting any significant minutes in Carlisle's system. So funny, funny, uh, funny question there. No, no offense, but just street ball player does not seem to fit the mold of this Pacers team. But um, let's move on to our uh, the rest of our Instagram questions here. This comes from ADJAFRE. I need to figure out how to pronounce that, however your handle is. But they said, how will the starting lineup work as TJ Warren comes back next month? I mean, I imagine that Warren Warren returns. He returns to the starting lineup. So I'm imagining, you know, Brogdon, Levert, Warren, Miles, and Sabonis. But just like uh, everybody else, maybe I'm just a sucker out there because that's what we've been waiting for for, you know, ever since we pulled off the trade for Levert. So it's hard to imagine Warren coming off the bench unless it's for, like, the first game or two. But, you know, we're not benching Levert. Any guesses on when you think T.J. Warren comes back, Futch? I mean, we've heard potentially the end of December, you know, early January. At this point, we've come this far where it's like, just don't rush the man back. Yeah. If he's if he's not healthy and he needs an extra week, is it a big deal at that point? I don't think so. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep my eye on it. There are some games there that look like it'd be easier for him to return. Like the Pistons, home four and twelve. The Rockets one and fifteen on the twenty third. You know, there's some games there where you think, okay, maybe that makes sense because it's not up against a really good Eastern Conference team that you're trying to jockey with playoff position for. So that would be something I'd keep an eye on there. And then if you go into January, you know, that's when they're starting to get on the road a little bit more again. And they've got a pretty tough schedule come January with a lot of good teams. So I think that maybe January the second against the Cavaliers would be like the last time I think that uh, he would return. But you, you never know. Any second back could happen. But yeah, I, I think, like you said, though, T.J. Warren coming back, he'll probably be thrown right away into the starting lineup. If not, come off the bench, probably take some Akeelan Martin's minutes, whatever yeah. they want to do. Just got to figure it out because when he's healthy, they're better, right? So that, they just got to go that route. And plus, we saw even when Levert came back, he went immediately into the starting lineup, only yeah. played, I think it was like 15 minutes, but, I mean, in his first game. But, you know, the Pacers could easily do that. Uh, absolutely. So let's move on to our last Instagram question. This comes from Karis underscore Legoat. Why does Karis never get the ball and have no involvement in the offense? Okay. Uh, that definitely comes from someone with a, a name like Karis Legoat. And I've definitely seen you over there. I respect you. I appreciate you. But, you know, Karis definitely does get the ball, actually tends to shoot quite a bit. Um, you know, we mentioned ball's been stopping a little bit over there, but yeah, um, I, I think he's going to be just fine. I think he'll continue to get the ball, but I don't know if he necessarily needs the ball more than what he's been getting it. Yeah. I mean, it looked pretty bad with him coming out with five minutes left or uh, five minutes into the first quarter and the third quarter against the Pelicans. I was like, wow, they stepped him out really quick. Like you're used to seeing Karras almost play like the whole first and third and then come back in for like the final six minutes of the second and fourth and put up like 36 minutes a game. Right. So they're trying to, like you said, watch his minutes, but I also think like, Hey, he's not been helping the offense move the way they want it to. So that's why he's probably not getting the ball as much, but there's been times like I've been surprised where he'll have zero shot attempts in the first quarter. And you're like, was he even out there? Like he didn't hardly do anything. And then all of a sudden you'll see like in the second and third, where he'll just have like multiple attempts in a row. So it's kind of like, what are they doing? I don't feel like he's really gotten to any kind of rhythm yet offensively. So that could be part of the reason he is shot hunting sometimes, Fachi. 
when he does get the opportunity because he's trying to get into a rhythm. He talked about the offensive rhythm as well. So that to me was just, uh, you know, we, we've been talking about Karis LeVert and his role a lot on these questions here. So I'm being repetitive and I'm being way too long-winded, but I, I still just feel like just be patient with Karis and give it, give it at least to like game 30, 32. And if he's still being utilized the same way, then you should have concerns. Here's the thing. This is like the new hot topic in town. Like it's been brewing for a little bit. Now I feel like it's hit its point where everyone's, you know, wondering about LaVert. But in another week, this could all change. Yeah. Harris LaVert comes out and drops an efficient 30 points. It would be like, why aren't we giving him the ball more? Yeah. So I, I feel like that things could change very quickly. I mean, we saw people were, you know, getting real uh, worried about McConnell early and then he really turned it on. So it happens. Guys go through flows, ups and downs. It's just we need to give them a little bit more time. Absolutely. So this is our last question, Fanchi, from a text message I got from a friend of mine. His name is Landry. He said, is Miles Turner the most important player on the Pacers? I know many fans would argue that Domas is more important to the team, but it seems that the Pacers still manage to hold their ground when they play games without Domas. However, the team seems to fall apart when Miles is out of the lineup. I feel that this could help answer some questions for the Pacers if they come to a point in time where they need to make the choice to either trade Turner or Sabonis. Could this affect how they approach the Turner versus Sabonis controversy? I mean, look, both guys are very important to the team for different reasons. I feel like Miles is that player that when he's clicking offensively, it's like that whole, it's like that X factor. You know, the Pacers are that much deeper, they're that much more dangerous defensively he's huge I mean that's the guy who's defending the paint I mean it's just he brings that night in night out I mean you could see it in his his plus minuses you know to really get the full impact but you know I also think if you just don't have Sabonis over there I mean who are you filling in at that four right now so it, it would be a completely different story um so I would just say look Turner is very very vital to the team if you just remove Sabonis and Sabonis uh, and Turner was the, the sole big in there, things could be a bit different. He could be, you know, a bit more prioritized defensively. So, you know, look, he's very, very important to this team, and we need him to be more consistent. Turner, that is. Yeah, so I replied back to the message and said, LOL, okay, because this part made me laugh out loud. It said, it seems that the Pacers still manage to hold their ground when they play games without Domas, however, they seem to – fall apart whenever Miles is out of the lineup. I don't agree with that at all. I don't remember which games he could be talking about. He could, could be referring to, obviously, Sabonis hasn't missed a game this year. Yeah. So I'm wondering if he's re referring to, like, one or two games last year towards the end when the team was not good. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's – to me, with this question, I I get, you know, whether you're a Domas fan or a Miles fan, like, we go back and forth debating what they're good at. But one's really good at defense, one's really good at offense, Right. I think that if you look at the on-off numbers, it's a small sample size. It's not a full game <laughs> because, look, if you look at the numbers where Sabonis – let's just say, for example, Sabonis missed 10 games, right, and you had no Domas for that, for that whole entire stretch of 10 games and you played Miles, this team would hurt offensively. They would not be good. If you went 10 games without, without Miles and it was just Domas, this team would hurt defensively. Both of them are very impactful. I think when it comes to making the right move and the, and the right trade, you have to, one, consider who you're getting back in return for the trade, number one, and number two, determine which way you want to build this team. If you feel like you've got 
a better chance of winning long-term with solo Domas, then you find the right trade for Miles. And then vice versa, if you feel like you have a better chance of winning with solo Miles and trading Domas. I, I think the on-off numbers are skewed quite a bit because of the lineups they play with and the matchups they're playing against. Because, look, it's been a small sample size. Last year, I mean, Domas played, what, almost 40 minutes a game. So it's like you're saying for, like, that little bit of stretch when he got a break, uh, they were that much better, you know, with, with Miles out there as a solo guy. Like, I get it. But at the same time, it's like so many of the little things that Domas does are not flashy that people don't realize it. This The screen angles, the screen assists, getting others involved. Like, Miles is not a guy that's going to be an offensive connector whatsoever. He's a shooter, Fachi. That's what he is. He can put the ball on the floor every once in a while. And if he gets the ball in the paint, sometimes he's gotten better at that quick turnaround jumper, but he's not a dominant force down there. And the defense doesn't really get nervous when he's around the basket like that. He had a great tip slam last night. I like, was about was to say, we, we, awesome. we hadn't mentioned it, but yeah, unbelievable slam over three Pelican defenders. That was great. Love to see more of it. Loved how he was fired up after it. Right. But that had nothing to do with, you know, him being utilized in the offense. And, and it was just him making an energy play. So, Really, I, I think going back and forth, you know, everybody likes to trigger me when they talk bad about Sabonis. I think they just do it to laugh at me. But I just feel like he's underappreciated to some degree. And I feel like a lot of the fans that are more in the Miles corner don't appreciate what Domus does. And I feel like the same thing for those that are in the Sabonis corner don't appreciate what Miles does. Uh, they're both really good. It's just hard to find a place where two centers can play on the court for multiple minutes and win you a uh, multiple playoff series. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who's going to be able to pull that off, um, but we're, we're going to wait and see. But for now, hey, guys, let's let's try and appreciate both of them while we can because I think this is basically amongst the best they've looked playing together. Uh, I know, you know, a, a few games can change all that, but the net rating has been far more positive this year than the years past. Yeah, no, it really has. So at the um... – at the end of the day here, Vaj, I think we've got all of our questions answered. We'll be back Tuesday night to recap that Bulls game, get you all set for the Lakers game. But before we do that, where can people find us at on social media? All right. So you can find us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. You can find Alex on Twitter at, uh, at Alex Golden NBA. You can find me on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And if you have not already, make sure to leave us a five-star rating and review. Send us a screenshot over to alexgoldennba at gmail.com, and we will enter you into the contest to win a City Edition jersey. Don't forget to do that. But, Fachi, if you're hoping the Pacers can build off this win against the Pelicans and make a statement game, a statement win against the Chicago Bulls, say these three words. Let's go Pacers! Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.